This is Radio Parallax, a slightly different perspective from a slightly different view, with topics that include matters in science, technology, history, politics, current events, and whatever we damn well please. And now the host of Radio Parallax, Douglas Everett. Welcome to the program, which I believe is number 663. Almost all of which, we remind you, are available for your listening pleasure on the internet at our website at radioparallax.com. And we'd like to encourage you to enjoy our podcasts wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, wherever. Mr. Milton likes to point out that our podcasts do stay crunchy even in milk. And yes, he was heavily medicated when he made that statement. We expect quite a bit of follow-up on today's program. Not the least of which we expect to be our follow-up on the Bill O'Reilly story. Since we last spoke, Bill has apparently gotten in even more hot water about some bogus reporting that was um, shown to be lame by somebody finding an old clip and putting it on YouTube about being under fire over in the Balkans somewhere. Well, we're going to focus on our, his previous statement about having been at the scene when JFK assassination figure George DeMornschild killed himself. To help us do that in our second segment today, we're going to speak with Professor Joan Mellon. Turns out she's written an entire book about the mysterious and shadowy George DeMornschild. So I expect she'll be able to help us shed some light on the matter. Stay tuned for that in segment two. But let us begin today's program as we like to do with On This Date in History. The date in question today is the 5th of March. It was on March 5th in 1616 that a Roman Catholic decree declared the Copernican theory false and erroneous and prohibited anyone from teaching or believing that the earth orbits the sun. Thank God we never see any of that sort of behavior in contemporary America with things like vaccines and the theory of evolution or the notion that our climate may be changing. It was on March 5th in 1830 that limelight was demonstrated in a scientific trial at the Tower of London. The innovation, which used jets of oxygen to heat lime to incandescence, was used in lighthouses and theaters. Hence the phrase, in the limelight. And limelight was also a pretty good movie with Charlie Chaplin and Buster Keaton, the only time those two guys appeared on the screen together. And here's what I did not know. It was on March 5th in 1868 that C.H. Gould of Birmingham, England, patented the staple. On March 5th, 1946, former British Prime Minister Winston Churchill made his famous Iron Curtain speech, which condemned the Soviet Union's policies in Europe and is considered one of the opening volleys of the Cold War. And finally, it was on this date in 1953, speaking of the Cold War, that Joseph Stalin, leader of the Soviet Union since 1924, died of a massive heart attack in Moscow. He is remembered to this day as one of the great mass murderers of the 20th century, having overseen the deaths of between 8 and 10 million of his own people. Theologians believe that within minutes of his death, he was, in fact, burning in hell. Of course, I should add that the opinion that Joseph Stalin is burning in hell, like all the opinions heard on this program, does not necessarily represent those of KDVS, our sponsors, or the University of California. Yes, if we get a chance to actually speak with the devil when we come up to show number 666 in two weeks, we'll maybe ask him if Uncle Joe's hanging around down there. Our quote of the day comes from Jane Fonda, which may be a Radio Parallax first. 
because reading in the Week magazine about Jane uh, now seeking husband number four, well, I just got to say, it started out pretty unsympathetic. Because in the piece, Jane went on to bag her first three husbands. Roger Vadim describes as a sexually adventurous Frenchman. Then California politician Tom Hayden, who supposedly banned her from Hollywood, wah. Third was CNN founder Ted Turner, who supposedly cheated on Jane, etc., etc. But her quote in Seeking a Husband number 4 was, well, she's referring to a music producer, Richard Perry, who could be Mr. Jane Fonda number 4, that he's a very kind person. So we're going to go with her statement that one of the things you should look for when you're looking for a partner should be kindness. They don't teach you that when you're young. They should. So we're not going to mock Jane. We're going to let that stand. Although Mr. McMillan cannot resist pointing out that perhaps Henry Fonda did not do his job when he was raising young Jane. I mean, kindness should have been part of the equation and, you know, parental advice, eh? And our quip of the day, which at first I was also prepared to mock, but I'm, I'm not going to. I'm going to go with it. It comes from Mario Andretti, who said, if everything seems under control, you're just not going fast enough. <laughs> and the more I thought about it, the more I liked it. In fact, we're going to do an addendum quip to that one from the poet Paul Violi, which we also have the week to thank for, which was, what more can we ask than to never know what to expect? Yes, Radio Parallax likes to take a stand officially against predictability and its resultant ennui. Our joke of the day is as follows. The Mexican maid asked for a pay raise. The wife was upset, decided to ask her about it. Now, Maria, she said, why do you think you have earned a pay raise? Well, senora, said Maria, there are three reasons why I want an increase. The first is that I iron better than you do. Who said that, said the wife. Your husband, said Maria. Oh, said the wife. The second reason, said Maria, is that I also cook better than you. Nonsense, said the wife. Who said you're a better cook than me? Your husband did, said Maria. Oh, and the third reason is that I'm a better lover than you, said the wife. I suppose my husband said that as well. No, senora, said Maria. The gardener. Oh, said the wife. So how much do you think you need? Our anecdote for today's show is as follows. Apparently two members of Britain's parliament, both former foreign secretaries, have been suspended from their parties after they were caught allegedly offering political favors for money. Malcolm Rifkin and Jack Straw were secretly filmed by the Daily Telegraph and a TV news show talking with a representative of a bogus Chinese company who was in fact an undercover reporter. Rifkin, a conservative party MP, said he had useful access to British diplomats and his fee was usually $10,000 a day. Straw, a Labour MP, boasted of success in getting European Union rules changed and asked for $8,000 a day. Both men defend their actions as being within the law. Money don't get everything, it's true. What it don't get, I can't use. I want money. Our stat of the day is 65, as in just 65 of, of America's 
3,069 counties have fully recovered from the recession, according to the National Association of Counties. This means they have met or exceeded pre-recession jobs, unemployment rates, economic output, and home prices. By the way, more than half of the recovered counties are in Texas and North Dakota. And our good news item from today's show is that there may be hope for men affected by male pattern baldness which unfortunately affects more than half of all men by the time they reach 50. But in a pioneering experiment, researchers at San Diego's Sanford Burnham Medical Research Institute has successfully used human stem cells to grow new hair, at least on laboratory rats, which I have to admit, as far as we know, do not suffer from male pattern baldness. But apparently by tweaking some of these stem cells, they've uh, evidently tricked them into becoming hair-growing machines. Now, since they're using stem cells, uh, in theory, well, it shouldn't matter how bald the recipient is. But, of course, the next step is testing this procedure on actual humans. All right, let's do some follow-up before we jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. We talked about umami a few weeks back on this program and how one of the most very basic taste sensations which we have on our tongue are those receptors sensitive to glutamate. In our opinion, this certainly demonstrated that most of the kerfuffle over supposed Chinese restaurant syndrome is erroneous. But it turns out there's more to the umami story if you're a penguin. (laughs) It's now believed, based on examinations of the tongues of penguins, that they lost the ability to taste that savory umami flavor associated with meat or fish a long time ago. Actually, researchers made this determination by screening penguin DNA for genes associated with taste buds. They drew a blank when they looked for those that code for proteins usually used in detecting not just umami, but also sweet and bitter. And I have to like this quote in New Scientist from Zhangji George Zhang of the University of Michigan, who said, as far as we know, penguins are the only birds that have lost three of the five basic tastes. But, you know, we're willing to bet there hasn't been a whole lot of research in that area. But anyway, if you want to know the specifics, it's reported that the absence of a gene that makes TRPM5, a protein vital for these three lost taste types, but not the surviving two, don't function too well at low temperatures. So in the cold Antarctic, well, it may have made those three tastes unusable anyway. Chris, you would think there'd be an evolutionary advantage in being able to taste what you're eating. And penguins can still taste, but it's only sour and salty. Then I guess when you're swallowing fish whole, you don't have to, you know, have that much time to savor the flavor. At any rate, we're sure this explains why it is you're not going to see any penguins anytime soon at the French Laundry in Napa. We also reported, I think, on last week's program about Rudy Giuliani's intemperate remarks about President Obama. You know, the I do not believe the president loves America. He wasn't brought up the way you and I were brought up. Well, we want to thank Jonathan Chait, writing in nymag.com and repeated in the week, that, uh, well, you just have to question what it was Rudy Giuliani was taught by his old man, who it turns out was a mob enforcer who dodged serving in World War II. And as for Rudy himself, well, he apparently got six deferments to avoid having to serve in the Vietnam War. So we think he can take his flag-waving approach to political rhetoric and just maybe stick it where the sun don't shine. What do you say? And um, 
Speaking of where the sun don't shine, and we've never used that segue prior to this, we have a bit of shocking follow-up on the story we did some weeks ago about fecal transplants, a topic we're going to address again in the future, we hope. This is an incredibly low-tech technique that is very promising to, um, to help people suffering from overgrowth of some nasty bacteria in their GI tract. This certainly dovetails with the many stories we've done about our gut bacteria and how they have a far greater effect on us than we realize, and that um, obesity may have something to do with the type of bacteria that we have in our gut. Well, um, that has been driven home by some evidence from the people doing fecal transplants. Open Biome, that group that was offering $13,000 a year for people's uh, fecal contributions. And no, lest you think they're full of it, it was a serious offer. The catch was you had to be a rather exceptionally healthy and clean living individual. Well, this whole fecal transplant saga has been um, clouded, I guess you might say, by the fact that in the case of one person who received a fecal transplant and um, became healthy again after uh, a nasty infestation of, I guess it was C. difficile, developed an untoward side effect, obesity. This certainly strengthens the theory that uh, fat people may have the kind of bacteria in their gut that makes it very difficult for them to lose weight. This woman, apparently after regaining her health, could not lose the extra pounds she put on after getting her new microflora in the gut. As a result of this, the people that are doing research in this area are no longer accepting donations from the obese. This is very interesting stuff, and we are going to follow this story, hopefully with Dr. Stuart Cohn of UC Davis. And it was interesting listening to Science Friday last week, where there was this uh, spirited discussion, I guess you'd say, between researchers at the Cleveland Clinic, at least one of them, and somebody from Harvard Medical School, where, rather amusingly, at least amusing to this correspondent, the two could not agree on what was good and bad in the way of fats. You'd think this would be pretty established science at this point. But boy, it is not. Which tells you what an entire vast gray area the field of nutrition still is to this day. Although we'd like to have some hard facts about what is good for us and what is bad for us, it turns out this is fiendishly difficult to establish. Piece about this in the Washington Post by Peter Wariski, quoted John P. A. Ioannidis, a professor of medicine and statistics at Stanford, who is one of the harshest critics of nutritional science, as saying almost every single nutrient imaginable has peer-reviewed publications associating it with almost any outcome. And unfortunately, I think that's a fair assessment. But on Science Friday, they did mention that one of the diets that is considered to be healthy, this is based on, you know, seeing what happens to people that eat it, uh, is the Mediterranean diet, which is not particularly low fat. And it's, of course, been known for a long, long time that the French do not seem to suffer from heart disease the way we do here in America, in spite of eating a diet that would not pass muster with a lot of nutritionists. It's really high in fat. So what's going on? Well... We don't know, and apparently nobody else does either. But at least, in the meantime, you don't have to feel bad about eating that Denver omelet, or vegetarian omelet, as the case may be. All right, and we're sad to note a bit of political skullduggery, which, which has appeared in Dan Walter's opinion piece in the Sacramento Bee, which is that the legislature may regain 
the ability to redraw their own districts. Said Walters, one can read too much into questions and comments from appellate judges during oral arguments. But with that caveat, it appears the U.S. Supreme Court is poised to erase the drawing of congressional districts by independent commissions created by voters through the initiative process. If that happens, it would presumably strike that power from California's redistricting commission and could lead to other outcomes, such as invalidating the state's top two primary system in congressional and U.S. Senate elections. As reported on this program and just about everywhere else, I think, the fact that legislators have the ability to to carve out their own districts and make them safe for their re-election is one of the reasons we have political gridlock in this country and in this state. Apparently this case is going to hinge on some of the wording in the U.S. Constitution, which notes that when it comes to drawing lines, that right was left to, quote, the legislatures therein, unquote. This led the Arizona legislature to challenge their commission's constitutionality. And since, as usual, it appears the conservatives all think that these commissions need to get tossed out while the liberals are in favor of them, it's all going to come down to Sacramento's own Anthony Kennedy. Dan Walters reading the tea leaves of how Kennedy asked questions during the oral arguments. Notes that he appears to be skeptical of redistricting by voter-created commissions. Good God. Well, if they toss out these commissions, that'll have to be three we can chalk up to Anthony Kennedy. Siding with the conservatives to toss out the election of Al Gore. Siding with the liberals to expand the powers of eminent domain more than they should be. And in this case, perhaps do what he can to bolster the political gridlock of this country. And on that note, let's see if we can't jump into the good, the bad, and the ugly. According to the Week magazine, it was a good week last week for, I guess, some variety of free-range parenting with the news that researchers in Sweden have found that children whose parents wash dishes by hand are more likely to be exposed to bacterial microbes, making them less likely to suffer from allergies than children who grew up with dishwashers. On the other hand, it was a bad week last week for America's disgrace of a legal system, with the news that a Utah woman has been cleared to sue herself for killing her husband in a car accident. Yes, apparently Barbara Bagley accuses herself of negligence in the 2011 rollover of the family Range Rover. A court ruled that Bagley, as the representative of her husband's estate, can sue Bagley as the driver so she can seek insurance damages. Insurance company lawyers have argued, probably with justification, the jury is going to be highly confused. And finally, it was an ugly week last week for Republican politicians. And in labeling it that way, we do have to point out that many people have looked at the actions of the Republicans across this country of ours and said, well, they're not doing anything except being a bunch of obstructionist jerks. But to that, we have to answer in defense of the Republicans, they are doing what they can to fight the threat of werewolves. Yes, apparently Georgia Representative Tom Kirby, a Republican, has introduced a bill to ban animal-human hybrids that might result from combining genetic material. 
And Tom Kirby was quoted as saying, we don't want to laboratorily create the werewolf, but if they exist, that's fine. So there you have it. At least one Republican politician out there is okay with werewolves. Just don't try to laboratorily create them, okay? And you know, this might be a good time to take a break. So let's do that. I'm Douglas Everett. You're listening to Radio Parallax. Let's come back and talk with Professor Joan Mellon about the mysterious George DeMorne show. You better not let him in. Little old lady got mutilated late last night. Werewolves of London again. 